0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt
2: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. You ever had somebody say, you know, what do you recommend at the restaurant? What do you recommend here? We were talking earlier about how Donald Trump uh, basically ordered for Chris Christie at a dinner basically ordered a mistake you got to try some of these trump steaks and so we i was looking and found this interesting article about uh, from businessinsider.com about just certain things that you you shouldn't eat ever and it comes from a um, a person that spent over 20 years working in food poisoning lawsuits bill marler put together this article, and he has six foods that he simply will not eat anymore. And um, none of them necessarily are, like, from Chipotle because they keep getting in trouble. Um, check out this list, though. Raw oysters. Just he's not going to do the raw oyster thing. Ben, have you ever had a raw oyster? Oh, he's having one right now. Hmm. It sounds good, Ben. Yeah, they're not bad. You really... Okay, that's not how you eat an oyster. You just kind of more, with the oyster, you just kind of swallow it. You slurp it like that. Yeah, you're chewing it. If you chew it, you're just going to end up chewing it all day. Yeah. Don't eat raw oysters. Marlar says that he has seen more foodborne illnesses linked to shellfish in the past five years than in the two preceding decades. And the reason? The culprit? Warming waters. As the global waters are heating up, it's producing microbial growth, which ends up in the raw oyster that uh, you happen to be slurping down. Uh, no, the second thing you suggest you don't eat: don't eat pre-cut or pre-washed fruits and vegetables. Anything that's pre-washed, pre-cut, careful. You got you got to anything that's been processed, pre-cut, pre-washed. Take them out, wash them do it again. Don't eat raw sprouts, which I couldn't agree more. Why why is anybody eating sprouts anyway? Actually, I like sprouts, but sprouts, uh, you know, they come with more than 30 bacterial outbreaks, primarily salmonella and E. E. coli in the past two decades. Sprouts, you know, they've got some problems. Watch out for rare meat, obviously. This seems like a no brainer. You know,
3: but if it bleeds,
2: it leads. It's to so the hospital. good, though. Do you like raw meat? Not raw meat, but rare. Like rare, rare. Pretty rare. Yeah. Do you know what we call that in my neck of the woods? What? You're a carnivore. I'll accept that. <laughs> Watch out! You got you got to get the heat up, 160 degrees, to kill the bacteria, or you're going to get E. coli or Salmonella. Uncooked eggs, I wouldn't, you know, don't eat them. Don't do the Rocky Balboa thing. Put it in your smoothie. Buh. Buh. It's a no-brainer. It'll kill you, folks. Raw eggs, watch out. Watch out. And watch out for today's trend. There's a big trend about unpasteurized milk and juices. Because many are arguing that pasteurization depletes nutritional value. Yeah. Okay? It also saves your life. It it makes it so your insides don't try to come out on the outside. It keeps your inners on the inners. It's just better for you. There's a reason Louis Pasteur came to this world. One, way, one reason is to make sure that you keep your drink down. So don't drink something that isn't pasteurized, for heaven's sakes. We're talking about restaurants, right? If you want to drink raw milk, you know, right out of the cow, at home, you need a life. Not to be rude, you need to do something. Hey, here's another one: don't eat don't eat rare pearls. Listen to this story. Out of Issaquah, Washington. I used to live there. You know? Did you? Yeah. They have a really. Did you ever go to this Italian restaurant? No. It's I, called Montalcino Ristorante Italiano. No, I, I've never been there. I don't know if that's how you say it but that's... It, it sounded right. It sounded it? like a good pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A woman bit down on a rare pearl while eating a meal of clams the other day at a restaurant. She's eating like a clam sauce, probably. Some clam and linguine meal. Mmm. <clears throat> Sounds good. At an Italian restaurant, Lindsay has... Did you know Lindsay? Lindsay and Chris, they live up in Issaquah? No. No. Yeah, they live there. I thought you'd know just because you live there. It's a big town. Uh, they were eating at Montalcino Ristorante Italiano, and recently when she bit into something hard into her entree, Haz says that she wasn't sure what it was, uh, pulled it out, put it in her pocket, and went home to do some research. She took it to a gemologist who determined it was a Quahog purple pearl worth about 600 bones. Pretty lucky lady. I mean, sure, it's a molar. Sure, she shattered a molar. But she done found herself a pearl. That's pretty neat. Normally, you'd say, waiter, something crunchy just broke my tooth. But this young lady, smart, smart, she just took it home. She says, and the owner of the Ristorante Montalcino Ristorante, Cindy Nardone, says she's so happy for Has. That's great. She should have kept the pearl and then... Ask for a refund on her meal. Not a bad idea. Just trying to help. Is that how we do it in Issaquah? Yeah. Milk all the money you can. (laughs) She may make it into a necklace, by the way. That is cool. That is great. Something you can't always do when you find something strange in your meal. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's fun to talk to somebody that coaches these candidates. Some of them are so bad at... uh, knowing what to do and how to do it. Can you imagine being paid by somebody to, I don't know, change how a Bernie Sanders does stuff or how a Donald Trump? Hey, Don, we, um, we need you to not say some of the things you're saying. <laughs> what? What? Well, you know... The whole Muslim thing. Could you just tone down that rhetoric? And like uh, we've heard, he he may not even believe some of this stuff because it works. It works. You know, there's the whole Times, New York Times uh, interview that he did that came up in a one of the debates, two or three, four debates ago, where the big question is, what is... What did he say off the record? Because with the journalist, he was saying something off the record, and many say what he was saying is, he was saying it's not quite, I'm not going to keep talking about this wall thing. In the end, it's like not, it may not matter what they're saying, but it seems to matter to us, doesn't it? It seems to matter to us.
1: What he what he was talking about was uh, what with the New York Times something around the idea of he's not really into this uh, all the, his immigration stances he's taken. Yeah, that he doesn't really want to go that far with it. But he did in the speech because it, right. as you said, it brought people with him. And that is there a, is there a tape of this? But the New we, York Times is like that's up, up to Donald Trump. Donald, they we'll want release to release. It.
2: Yeah, we'll release everything he said. Yeah, and he's like, no, I believe too much in the freedom of press <laughs> to keep their to keep their secrets especially when they're mine but what what it might be telling us is people will say anything to get elected right we're even finding out in a lot of these states where donald is doing well immigration's not even an issue it's not even an issue but what it might be that people like is the fact that donald seems so passionate about what he's saying he's the salesperson And he might be just selling his message better. He may not even believe in the message necessarily. Many question if he is conservative, right? But he'll sell it. He'll sell it. And so uh, be careful. Check your gut on that and go get the information you need. You can get it from enough sources. And it doesn't mean he's just a bad guy either, these politicians. It might just be that they really want to win. Interesting, folks. We'll take a break. Stick with us. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. Solar energy. Uh, Has captivated us since we were children. If you remember back in the day from having a solar-powered toy or a glow-in-the-dark, you know, kind of uh, powered uh, calculator with one of those, you know, wonderful little grids on it that would attract the sunlight and would almost... 75% 75% of the time, as long as you didn't keep it in a drawer, the calculator would work. Well, although it works on a small scale, how does it work on a bigger scale? Will it be environmentally sustainable and economically sustainable to, uh, to really move everything to solar? Here to speak with us today is Dr. Lee Phillips. He's a theoretical physicist and writer who lives in McLean, Virginia. Dr. Phillips, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Talk about it because we we in my neighborhood everyone's getting solar panels, and uh, you know we live. I live in Utah in the West. It, it seems to be like a really smart option, but but then I have in the back of my head all of these concerns that you know is it really here to stay? So give us a little update on the state of solar power.
4: Yeah, I think uh, ten years ago, wondering whether solar power is really here to stay would be very rational. Um, But in the last few years, solar energy has uh, really seen a a transition, and that's to do with the increasing efficiencies of solar panels and the decrease in cost. Uh, Very few people are aware of this, uh, and I discovered it myself in writing these articles for Ars Technica. But now, as of the last just couple of years, for every unit of energy that an energy company invests in extracting or, or building power plants, um, solar power now generates more energy than the equivalent investment in oil or gas.
1: Hmm. Wow. So
4: just from the point of view of pure economics, if you're uh, an oil company trying to make money, you will make more profit if you transition to renewable energy.
2: In fact, and we've heard that. We've had uh, gas companies on the show talking about the fact that they're moving. You know, they're moving away from coal. They're investing in a lot of these technologies. Um, but, you know, it's going to take years, 30, 40, 50 years. And I guess just maybe take off, uh, take off the, the overriding issue, which, which to me and the gas company brought it up. It's a great point that, you know, there's, there's, there's only so much fuel when there's sun, right? So we can get as much energy as we can from the sun in the day. But at night, they still need something to generate the energy because storage is such a problem.
4: That's exactly right. Uh, Energy storage is the one big remaining problem that's holding back widespread adoption of solar energy. Um, If you're a young scientist and and want to get in on on helping society solve its energy problem, I think probably the most critical thing you can do is to not research solar power because that is a problem that's pretty much solved at this point. It's researching energy storage technologies, the batteries, capacitors things that can even out the supply of energy when when the sun goes down, and also power distribution technologies. Yeah. Power moving from where the sun shines to where the sun doesn't shine too much.
2: Because that's a really important point, um, and you bring it up in your article, because simultaneously to the whole solar power uh, push that's on right now, we also see companies like Tesla who are now creating these incredible electric cars and that can now are our, our major storage units of energy. So, it's almost like we're coming to this convergence.
4: Yeah, as people are buying battery powered cars, plug-in electric cars, and those are big arrays of batteries. If you plug those into your house at night, the car itself can become your energy storage unit, and if you're attached to the grid, the fleet the, the population owned fleet of electric cars can become a kind of grid leveling Supply leveling mechanism
2: Hmm. is is it the silver bullet that we all want it to be or is it just kind of, you know, we've thrown enough money at it. it? I mean, it's an obvious it makes sense. There's the sun, the greatest source of energy. I mean, why are we not taking advantage of it or so? But or is it really just being propped up by by the governments of the world? So it's going to succeed anyway.
4: It wouldn't succeed no matter how much it were subsidized if it, if it didn't work. Um, it is subsidized. I only have the numbers for the United States, but the, um, if you just look at tax incentives, there might be about $15 billion per year in subsidies for renewable energy. I think that's mostly in solar. But uh, fossil fuels are subsidized also and always have been. Um, the Treasury Department estimates this about $4.7 billion per year just in tax incentives for oil and coal. And there's an additional subsidy that's sometimes not taken into consideration, and that's the social cost of burning coal. And that's estimated to be about $200 billion per year. Mm. Man. Um, so this is, this is something that we're all paying for. The government doesn't pay it directly, but we all pay for it in the form of higher health care, um, and in, in addition, in addition to that 200 billion dollar social cost, there's the cost of our military. Our entire involvement in the Middle East is uh, at least partly due to the desire for energy security. If we didn't have to import oil, that would all become unnecessary.
2: It's true. In fact, one of the things that was kind of mind blowing. I love your article. It is it's incredibly um, it's it's so detailed so well researched but one of the things that i didn't that i didn't quite understand about the history of solar is the military so the most advanced military on the earth they inve- and nasa they invested in solar a long time ago to right. fuel all of their satellites
4: well it's an interesting story i don't know how much of it i can remember yeah. but the, some of the first uh, solar arrays were put on secret military satellites and the, I think it was the Air Force, That's happening. they didn't believe in it. Um, the scientists were pushing it and saying, yes, all you need to do is put on a, a solar array and that's all you need. And, but it was so new that the military forced them to put on a battery backup in case it didn't work. Huh. So they launched this, this secret satellite into orbit. The battery quickly failed and it was just powered by, by solar power for however many years it was up there.
2: It's amazing. I mean, really, and especially now that you hear that we're getting to Pluto with some of these orbiters or probes or whatever, and the, they're still being powered, I'm sure. Well, some of them are nuclear, but but having the backup as well, I'm sure, of of solar. When you think about the solar, um, the technology, where are we there? I mean, I guess because it, for years it was, you know, the the cells weren't strong enough. They they didn't get a good enough ratio between the actual energy that came in versus the energy that was stored and saved. Where, where are we as far as the efficiency of solar?
4: Yeah, it's, it's um, right now for a run of the mill solar cell, regular one that, that you would get your installer to put on your house, it is running something like 20 to 25 percent efficient. And that is enough to push it to make it economically. Um, attractive for, at least if you live in a place with a reasonable amount of sun, you're not surrounded by a lot of tall buildings or trees that you can't, that you're, put you in deep shade. And um, if your electricity cost is not so low that it just doesn't make sense to invest in an alternative, yeah, uh, which it is in some, in some states, it varies by a factor of 10 from state to state, the actual cost of buying electricity. If, if all that works out, then It is uh, almost a no-brainer. If you have a little extra capital, especially if you're you're financing a new house purchase, putting an extra $20,000 into not having to ever buy electricity from the power company makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Hmm. And in fact, if you're attached to the grid, and almost everybody is, um, you can sometimes make money selling your power back to the power company, and they're required to buy it in in many states and and pay pay you for it.
2: Is, is so let me ask you this idea is it it seems like it's in the best interest of the entire country to to um to maybe make infrastructure decisions where we we have the entire middle of the country much of the West, uh, much of middle America with a lot of empty fields, a lot of farmers that can't even afford to farm anymore. It seems like we could be taking in a lot of power from the middle of the country. Why, why are we not? in? And it, would it not be better to invest in it as a country versus just house to house?
4: Absolutely. I, I think it would. Um, most of the action is on the, the community level, um, not nationwide. I, I took a drive through as you mentioned in my article, through uh, rural Virginia recently, and you pass, you know, a field of corn, another field of corn, a field of cows, and then a field of solar panels. <laughs> and it's an amazing sight. Yeah, there are farmers putting using their empty fields and farming the sun, and it's not for their own personal use. It's these um, like communities at the level of small towns that that pool their resources and and buy solar power, and restri- distributed. The problem with Running the entire country off of uh, solar farms in the middle of the country is, again, storage and distribution.
2: So really, uh, we can do that in the middle of the country, but then is it just not? So which is amazing to me. So t- it's 22 percent efficient, I think you were saying. Yet, so boy, what happens when we get it to 60 percent efficient down in the um, in the future? Does it get yeah, that high? Yeah.
4: No, there are some natural limits. A um, regular conventional solar cell can never go more than about 33%. Hmm. That's because uh, a lot of the, it can only absorb certain wavelengths of light. This is a, a silicon solar cell. The rest of the light just gets reflected off or turned into waste heat. Uh, there are advanced solar cells that are put on uh, NASA spacecraft, and they're about 40% efficient. But oh, wow. incredibly expensive. Yeah. You never have them on your house. Right. Interesting. Um, but 20% is enough. Yeah. It's enough to run the country on solar energy if you had a little bit uh, of technological advance in energy storage, which we're getting.
2: Storage and transfer of the energy, right? Moving the but, energy around the country. Exactly. Um,
4: now, on a local scale, it makes perfect sense you know, if you live in Utah or. Well, I was surprised when I wrote this article that I talked to about half a dozen people around in different states who had installed solar panels in their houses to see what their experience was. And these are, some people were in Colorado, sunny areas, and others, well, some, someone else was in Vermont, where I didn't, I didn't expect them to have a great experience. Um, but every one of them said that it was great. Mm. <laughs> they were very glad that they'd done it. And even people who were a little ambivalent about the economics, they said it was, it, it was an expense and it would take a while to pay itself back. Another 20 years or so, even they were happy they did it because it just made them feel good.
2: There is the feel good side of this, isn't there?
4: They felt more independent. Yeah. They didn't have to depend on the power company, and they felt that when they turned on their hair dryer, they weren't polluting the air.
2: Mm hmm. Is, is there, um, I mean, I guess, and one of the things we'll, we'll probably get in de- in depth on in a few minutes is the discussion about. How government is handling it? Because it seems like our local communities and governments can make it a lot easier for us or maybe more complicated. I know in my world, in my state, it's kind of complicated because you don't just you don't just get one check between you and your power company. You've got to get a check to pay for the panels. You then have to you you might you might you still have to pay your power bill, but then you'll get a check back in return for what you're i mean it's just still complicated is i guess are we just at the we're just at the beginning of this is that why it's so complicated, or is it that governments are are and and power companies are now fighting for who actually owns this power?
4: No, I think it's anything having to do with government paperwork is complicated right they can never make it easy for you and this if you are are looking and most people are. They're looking to see what kind of tax breaks they can get, and anything they can get back from the government for this. It involves a lot of paperwork, and it, it, the regulations are different in every town and every state. So, I wish it were simple, um, yeah. but it's probably not going to be simple. You have to, you have to bite the bullet and, and deal with the government if you want to get some of the money back. Some of the incentives are even in the in the form of uh, property tax. It works this way: if you Make an improvement to your house; it's worth more, and so you get taxed more. Right. You live in a state with a property tax, so putting people are hesitant or had been in putting uh, solar cells on the roofs because they thought, well, that will assess my house higher, and I'll pay more tax. So one of the ways that states and counties incentivize solar power is to say we're not going to count that, and we're not going to make your tax rate or your your property tax go up if you make your house more valuable by putting solar cells on it. Hmm. So, that's just one layer of complication. That's another form you have to fill out. Yeah. Yeah, so on. So yeah, it, I'm not saying it's it's simple um and you have to deal with installers and
2: Yeah, and you have to finance your panels and but then you get a lot of rebates and a lot of incentives for buying the panels. Um do do you do you see that there'll be a day because one of the things too is I would love – I mean, I think I would have done it in a second if I knew that my house could draw in a lot of power, but also that that, that power was in some way um, accessible to me and mine not – because I could. St- I'm still putting it back into the grid, and the grid could shut down at any time, and I wouldn't necessarily have independent power over my own power.
4: Yeah, you don't unless – Unless you spend the extra money for enough batteries t- to store enough power to r- run your house for a couple of days, you'll so be attached to the grid. And that means that if there's a blackout in your area, you have a blackout, too, in your house. Right. You're not allowed to – in other words, you'll have an automatic switch attached between you and the grid that shuts it off if there's a blackout. And that's because if, when there's a blackout, there'll probably be somebody trying to fix it eventually, and if you're feeding power onto the grid, you'll electrocute that
1: first.
4: Hmm. So for safety, uh, a blackout on the grid means that even though you have your own power, you, you can't use it.
2: Now, answer this as the engineer. Am I using, if I, if I have solar panels, am I using during the day my own energy created at my house? Or am I just really transferring it all back to the grid and then borrowing it back from the grid?
4: Oh, if you're producing enough, if you're producing less than and what you're consuming, then the difference is made up by the grid. Supplying your power so you'll pay a little bit, your meter will spin slowly.
2: But, the, but I'm actually using my own energy that came from my house.
4: Yes, plus extra from, from yeah. the grid if you need it.
2: Oh, that's if great. you're producing
4: more, if it's a sunny day and you're not using much, your conditioner is off, and you're producing more than you're consuming, your, your meter should be running backwards, and you'll get that check at the end of the month mm. if that happens
1: enough
2: yeah let's uh let's take a break lee we're speaking with dr lee phillips who's a theoretical physicist and writer who lives in mclean virginia he's worked on projects for the navy nasa the department of energy on laser fusion fluid flow plasma physics and scientific computation today we're talking about the state of residential solar power power and uh, learning what we can is it is it a good bet is it a safe investment interesting insights uh from a physicist. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Today we're talking about the future of solar power and according to our guest Dr. Lee Phillips uh you know folks it's here to stay <laughs> and it's whether whether you you get it you love it whether you're an early adopter as some are or just you know you're going to go kicking and screaming solar power seems to be overcoming a lot of the obstacles that at one time um were impediments one thing is the efficiency's up uh, to a, a, a higher level it also is um starting to it seems like Uh, improve with with some of the help from maybe Tesla and SolarCity. Um, You know, this now there's better looking panels going on, more efficient panels, um, less probably damage to the house with the panels. And um, so we we wanted to just pick Dr. Lee Phillips brain and, and find out what we need to know, how we make the decision going forward. Lee, thank you again for your time.
4: Oh, my pleasure.
2: Is when When you see like these major investments uh even Tesla now is into it with solar city, and they're talking about the fact that if you wanted to roof uh your your uh house with their new solar roofing tools or, or products. It could cost on average about $51,000 for the solar paneling, plus if you want a power wall to store the energy, another seven grand. So that could be about $58,000 a house at the high end, plus a lot, much less at the, at the lower end. Do you sense that the, the prices will go down in the future? What do you see as far as Tesla's play and how this will, how this will roll out over the next 20, 30 years?
4: Well, you we have to hand it to Elon Musk. Yeah, has a, a grand vision, and um, he's really apparently trying to own the energy world of the future. Uh, he has the developing batteries uh, that are the same, pretty much batteries they put in their electric cars. So one giant battery factory can make batteries for everything. They made a new product, which is um, not simply solar panels that you attach to your roof, which can look kind of ugly, but an, actual, an entire roof that... Um, it's a solar panel. Wow. It only really makes economic sense for a new construction uh, to actually replace your roof with this. Would be, it would look great, but you'd have to have a lot of disposable, uh, tens of thousands of dollars to do that. So they're aiming at new construction, new houses to, to put the system in. Um, the, will the prices go down in the future? Well, everything gets cheaper, right? Right. Uh, as research continues and factories get ramped up and, and the economies of scale kick in. Things are bound to get cheaper. There's really – there's no bottleneck, no impossible-to-obtain material or anything that would cause this technology to actually become more expensive.
2: They've talked about the fact that these panels are being made in places like China and the cost of goods. I mean then they have – so they're making them in China, shipping them all the way back here to then use them. So historically that was seen as like not a very efficient – model, and, but yet the, the costs are dropping as well.
4: Yeah, I'm not up on where most of the manufacturing is now. I'm sure a lot of it is still in China. I know that there is some in the United States. Um, so as we live in a global environment where things are manufactured wherever it makes sense to manufacture them, and shipping is cheaper than it used to be. Containerized shipping is pretty efficient. So we'll be buying them wherever we can get them. Uh, It'll be technology that's uh, mostly developed in United States universities, Hmm. that's licensed to factories all around the world, probably.
2: How do you see, I mean, I see how it works in the West. I can see how my neighborhood is doing it. A lot of every other home is is getting solar panels now, it seems like, um, in the West. How does this roll out in places like New York, in Philadelphia, and will they have higher you know, electricity costs as they have to borrow it and ship it in from, the, from other states?
4: I don't think anyone has a really good solution for a big city where there are, only, there are almost no single-family homes and everything's a, an apartment building, right? There's not enough roof area on a big apartment building. Right. There's not enough panels to supply everyone in there. So you, you have to be supplied from some solar farm outside the city. Um, again, it's the same problem of energy storage and distribution that's still not completely solved. And um, it's a great opportunity for scientists to get into right now.
2: Do you sense that the states, will, will the federal government kind of uh, look at it as an infrastructure goal? Will it be just still more on the community level? How do you think would be the best way for it to play out, to roll out? The farms... We're
4: talking about basic research, a lot of which is still needed, especially for energy storage. That is almost entirely paid for by the federal government. And no one can predict the future funding priorities of the federal government. All you can do is get a grant for this year and hope that it's renewed for next year. But there are laboratories all over the country that are doing fundamental research in new solar energy technologies, things that you can paint on your house that generate electricity, uh, flexible and transparent solar cells. There's one you can put on the the windshield of your car that will melt the ice overnight as it generates electricity. Things like that. But uh, this all depends on the federal government seeing the big picture and realizing that we will all benefit as a society and we'll all profit from getting away from fossil fuels and uh, funding an alternative. I don't think industry can do it by itself. It never has been able to do these kinds of massive research projects by itself. Uh, The days of Bell Labs are long gone. Mm. It takes vision at the federal level. Fund research that helps uh, our
2: civilization move forward. Do you do you sense that we could be? Is there a risk we're putting ourselves at for the fact that you know um, to to invest so much in a solar powered grid? You know, if something happened, uh, I don't know, even just clouds or too much smog or whatever, something that made it so the solar wasn't as powerful. Are we? It just seems like it'd be nice to be able to flip a switch and start running fuel again.
4: Um, I, yeah, energy diversity is probably wise. I think that in some parts of the world, very higher or low latitudes, places with uh, constant thick cloud cover, like the Pacific Northwest, um, it might be a better idea to have uh, wind power or geothermal or hydropower in those places. Um, Solar is not the best choice for for every location, but if we have some state of affairs where we're not getting any more sunlight, then I think we'll have bigger problems than our solar powers. Our solar. Right. What
2: well, what about what about terrorism against these grids? They seem like they might be more fragile. Uh, you know, kind of to to some type of Im- electrical impulse or overwhelming. The system uh, with a, an impulse or some—I mean—I guess we've already talked on the show too about the fact that the power grid is really one of our big vulnerabilities anyway. But is is solar any more vulnerable than the the, the current measures we use to create power?
4: Well, here I'm just speculating, but I would guess that it's actually more secure because it would be—it would depend on a larger number of smaller. Um, Energy-producing stations. Uh, right now, if you have um, our, our only real alternative to solar and other renewables is um, nuclear power, which is a viable alternative, mm-hmm. especially you know as a transitional technology, for solar power really really can do everything for us. And um, talk about a target for a terrorism. Right, nuclear power plant is pretty good target. Um, I think most of the risk to the power grid is through computer intrusion. Of course, it's controlled by, by computers, and uh, if you can uh, crack into there, then you can shut down parts of the grid. Uh, but I think that that is probably just no more or less vulnerable, uh, regardless of where the, the source of energy comes from. Right? The, 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 the controllers that that control the distribution of power um, it's just electricity. Once it gets on the wire, it doesn't matter where the electricity is made. It's still electricity going over wires.
1: Right. So
4: the grid itself will be no more or less vulnerable. The um, power, dist- power production network will be probably more secure because it will be more widespread, fewer high-value targets.
2: Yeah. Is it, uh, when you look at it, uh, how, how do you know? So if I'm just the average homeowner, how do I go about making this decision? To know if it if it's a good deal for me
4: um, you can call the installers in your area, of course they're trying to run their business, so they're going to try to tell you it's a good idea, but you know you can compare <clears throat> they can they can run the numbers for you they know how to, how you'll get your subsidies and, and how it'll work out, how it's worked out for for your neighbors that kind of thing also you can go to what is it called Google has a, a website i yeah, uh, my article. I can't remember. Yeah, I'll
2: find it in the article.
4: where it's uh, on something. Um, you can put in your address into that website, and it will give you a rough estimate of uh, how the economics work out for your particular house. You know, they have all the houses on Google Maps, so they know how, how big your roof is and what direction it faces, it in and that kind of thing. And if you don't take it, you know, if you don't take it too seriously and believe it to the to the very last dollar, it'll give you. A general idea of how things will work
2: out project sunroof i believe is the name yeah, that's it. of it um, is so and then um, i guess the key too is you don't have to be a physicist to, to want to do this i mean i know a lot of the early adopters in my neighborhood were really smart i mean they already they knew exactly what they wanted to do they were retired engineers and they wanted it um, – it made sense for them. But I guess in the end, you're going to have people more and more coming to your door. And to the states and the cities that this works effectively in and efficiently, you're going to be – you're going to have sales pitches. It's going to start happening.
4: Uh, I guess. I haven't gotten one myself yet.
2: It's big in the West, yeah.
4: As recently as 10 years ago, people with solar panels were like hippies or right. people who – they they just wanted so badly to be off the grid that they were willing to make a sacrifice. But that's completely different now. Um, you know, people nothing works unless it works for your wallet, right? That's, nothing's going to be adopted unless people can can afford it. It makes economic sense for them. It doesn't matter what they read in a newspaper about global warming. You have to pay your your bills every month, right? So if people are if you see solar panels going up all over the area, it's because it works. It works economically.
2: And, I mean, I guess that's the powerful thing because it works um, and it gives back is the great thing. I mean, I think that's where this is so valuable. Well, Lee, we appreciate your insight, your wonderful article on ArsTechnica.com about the future of solar power. It's it, it's always been an option, it's, and now it's becoming a more and more of a viable option, which, I again, I think if it can lower our costs and save our planet, let's do it. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us.
4: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner.
2: Play ball. Play ball. Welcome back. You know, so we had people knocking door to door last year. And just offering the great, wonderful, incredible opportunities of solar power. And I immediately just had a gut reaction. No, I'm not doing that. No way. I mean, I've had a watch, a solar-powered watch that never worked because of that. So I'm not doing that. So maybe one of the things we, we need to look at is, what if the technology says it's good? Uh, what if the financial savings works for you? Um what if it all lines up? Would you then do it? Or do you still have this aversion to change? Cuz one of the things maybe each of us needs to look at and it makes sense. Some of us just don't like change. We don't like it, right? We just don't like to see certain people put into office or taken out of office. We don't like to see certain car technologies advancing. We don't we just don't like the change. But if you have an aversion to change, be careful because it doesn't mean that there's not opportunities and it doesn't mean that there's not um, advancements going on. I have so many people that uh, of certain generations that are single that will tell me that they would never date online because that's just, ew, that's just gross. Who would date online? And then I look at the younger generations that are doing a lot of dating online and I think, hmm, what is the difference except just our experience, our expectation. So remember, whether it's solar panels or not, change is going to happen. And it doesn't mean you have to be the early adopter that jumps, you know, two feet in early. But, you know, you're, you might want to start to look at what keeps you from making the changes you need to make in your life. And if it's just a gut feeling from something that you're uninformed about, maybe go get more informed, then see what the gut's telling you. A little basic Change information. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, here three hours a day to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This
2: is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio. I love talking to people that are at the top of their field, right? The top of their game. I mean, some people are sitting there like, well, I don't like people that try to make it sound that simple. And... Um, you know, you don't have to go chasing money. You don't have to go be in love with money. And, But the reality is there are people, and if you've ever been around somebody, I just sat down with somebody yesterday that is running a huge company, multi-billion dollar company. And he, with thousands of employees and tens of thousands of employees, and it's... It's interesting how organized he really is and how it all comes down to very basic principles in his mind, in his, in his head. It really is about principles. And I think that's all Brian was teaching us is there's just certain principles that are going to lead to success. You can argue against them if you want, but it's hard to argue that companies that focus on sales make more sales i mean if if all of a sudden the average uh corporation is spending twenty five percent of their workforce, thirty percent of their money on creating and generating cells, and uh you know a little homegrown business is spending ten percent on sales, wouldn't it make sense that the corporation's going to make more money right? That's not brain surgery. And yet, as a small business owner, it's hard to focus on sales if you don't love sales. I'd rather create content any day, but that's useless if no one's going to go sell the content. So if you want a company to succeed, you really need to do what works. How about just long-term thinking versus short-term thinking? Have you been so busy just living your life day in and day out that you didn't plan ahead for something down the road you ever had a trip that you knew you were going to take in you know six months from now and then you waited till three weeks before to get your passport oh just long-term thinking you know it helps it's not perfect but it it can certainly help so anyway it's uh it's just some basic information um and uh but also, I think if you just look at uh like brian tracy's success rate it's pretty good pretty good you, if you're selling millions and millions of books a year you're doing you're doing okay doesn't make doesn't mean it's all perfect and great, but he's living his principles he is creating sales he is an entrepreneur he is looking long term if you 're trying to grow a business you probably ought to grow some of those principles as well. But there might be more uh, other things we can be doing. Let me give you a few more that that will definitely impact your ability to, to live better. We might actually need to go back into our lives and eliminate some things, right? Get rid of certain things. There's a, listen to this story of a 90-year-old woman um, from Michigan decided to turn her cancer diagnosis into an excuse to travel across the United States. The woman named Norma is accompanied by her son, Tim, daughter-in-law, Ramey, and their poodle, Ringo. And they are out documenting their adventures via Facebook page, Driving Miss Norma. (laughs) Norma learned of her cancer within two weeks of her husband's death and told her son prior to the diagnosis that she had no interest in treatment. Her son and his wife then explained to the doctor... They would be driving her around the country in her RV and ultimately receiving his blessing. As doctors, we see what cancer treatment looks like every day, he said. ICU, nursing homes, awful side effects. And honestly, there is no guarantee she will survive the initial surgery to remove the mass. You're doing exactly what I want to do in this situation. Have a fantastic trip, the doctor said. In August, the family upgraded their motorhome to a larger 36-foot model and began their trip by traveling to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota before continuing through the country visiting other landmarks, historical sites such as Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Ramey uh, told ABC News that in addition to seeing the sites and gaining more than 100,000 likes on her Facebook page, Norma's health seems to be improving. How cool is that? She's getting better, maybe, or at least feeling better. She's receiving the benefits of being different, doing something different. Notice she set a goal. She's figured out how the goal is going to work. What a great way. If you you got cancer and you got to deal with cancer, it sure sounds like a better way to do it. You're listening to the best of The Matt Townsend Show. It's just technology, but I'm telling you, I have a feeling we are getting lulled to sleep and we are sleeping through our own lives. The minute you have a free second, do you reach for your cell phone? Do you have to go check Facebook to see what your million friends are doing or have done? What is it doing to us? It's killing us. And again, it's just tech. I get it. It's just technology. However, this is still your life, and if you're going to spend the rest of your life just caught up in technology, what lesson are we sending our children? So before we sit there and try to fix our children's use of technology, make sure you take a really strong inventory of yourself. Are you addicted? If you lost your phone, would your life completely fall apart? Well, yeah. Who would I Who would I like? Well, I don't know. But that's pretty pitiful because if you lost your phone, you're still you, right? Well, yeah, but I don't know my friends' names or their numbers. Well, that's weird. Maybe they're not your real friends then. Come on. Come on. Hey, uh, you know, tech is being used everywhere. If you, I don't know if you heard this story about uh, cops. Um North, Northeast Ohio police are hoping to figure out who left a bag of methamphetamine in a hotel, I guess. And they, they, they feel horrible. The police department feels horrible for the owner's loss and wants to help. The tongue-in-cheek message was posted Tuesday to the Macedonia Police Facebook page and asked the owners of the drugs to call or stop by to claim them so officers can, in their words, make your day. It's a trap! The photograph shows a baggie containing what detectives say is about a gram of high-grade crystal methamphetamine worth as much as $160. The detective at the department, about 20 miles southeast of Cleveland, said there were numerous empty bags in the hotel trash can. Police haven't identified who rented the room using a a gift card. Um, So if you're out there and you've lost $160 worth of high-grade crystal meth – about a gram's worth, give him a call. Or give us a call. No, don't give us a call. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't give us a call. Ben, give the Macedonia Police Department a call. They're worried. They're worried about you. See, you can use tech to help people who have lost things. It's that simple. By the way, I use tech to find my – my iPad once when I dropped it off my car, actually. I left it on my hood of my car. Drove I, away. I've only heard of like women doing that with their purses. Okay. Well, you need to get out more, Ben. Because I'm not a woman and it wasn't in a purse. It was on my roof of my car and I drove away. And I called my son and I'm like, have you seen my iPad? And he's like, no. And I said, it's missing. I lost it. And I was terrified. And he's like... Well, Dad, have you looked it up? Have you, have you tried to the find my iPhone app and the find my iPad app? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And about a minute later, he had found my iPad. He said, Dad, I found your iPad. It's traveling south on I-15. <gasps> what? Anyway, we, te- we contacted the iPad, told him to call this number. We know where you are. And within about an hour, hour and a half, we had our iPad back pretty cool. Tech is good. Tech making me happy. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. More fun, more tools to help you live longer and stronger. Stick with us. Welcome back, friend. You know, the importance of delaying gratification is universally recognized being able to forego immediate benefits in order to achieve larger goals in the future, it's viewed as a key skill for uh, for each of us. And for example, consider the classic what they call the marshmallow test, that experiment that was done, where children's ability to delay eating one marshmallow so that they could get two marshmallows has over time in a longitudinal study been linked to a number of positive life outcomes, including academic success, success, healthier relationships. So, We've asked uh, Caitlin Woolley to join us. She's a PhD candidate at the University of Chicago School of uh, Business and is uh, online with us today to discuss what separates goals that we achieve from those that we don't. Caitlin, thank you so much for being with us.
5: Thank you, Matt. It's great this, to be
2: here. This is such, a I think, an important topic for each of us. What when you when you think of it, um, just overall, what what makes the difference? I mean, because. I know that I could achieve every goal that I want to achieve, but I also could be, you know, faking it. Like, I could only be setting goals that are easy for me. What do do you find is the key to uh, what actually makes us achieve a goal versus not achieve a goal?
5: Yes, what we find is it's actually the immediate benefits that you're getting when you're working towards that goal. So if you're trying to go to the gym or you're trying to eat healthy or even um, students studying for an exam, we've looked at that, but um, really predicts their ability to stick with that that activity is how much enjoyment, how much immediate benefits they're getting in the moment from working towards that goal. That seems to, to matter a lot.
2: So really, it's more about if you derive, I guess, intrinsic, extrinsic benefit out of the actual act itself?
5: Yeah, yeah. So the, um, you know, whether the activity itself is providing you that enjoyment or if you can find a way to make it more enjoyable, uh, those we have found have been linked to people's ability to actually stick with the, the activity. And the thing is, people don't seem to realize that. They don't realize the importance of the immediate benefits when they're working
2: towards their goal. How interesting. And maybe knowing this ahead of time would help us, right? Because then we, we might choose our goals more carefully or might set it up in a way that it is more enjoyable.
5: Yeah, I think so. So I think if you could, you know, the delayed benefit of the reason, like you're going to go to the gym in the first place to lose weight or to get in shape, that's important. But then once you're actually at the gym, if you could think about how it's fun for you or how you can get some sort of pleasure out of it, maybe you're listening to music while you're working out, um, that is a way to sort of derive this immediate Positive experience that's going to matter for persistence.
2: That's so funny. Is it? um I guess this is just human nature, right? If we like, I, I honestly, I can exercise. If I can watch Netflix, it's easy for mm-hmm. me. It's just, but really, what I know is really happening is it's all about the Netflix. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pathetic.
5: Yeah, I think. I mean, you can use that to sort of harness that that experience to help you, right? So if you find that that's one of the things that you really like when you're working out, then you should allow yourself to have that. I think um, sometimes people, they set up goals and they say, you know, I'm going to eat really healthy. I'm only going to eat salads from here on out. And that's kind of a mistake because if you're not factoring in the pleasure, it's going to be really hard to stick with that uh, that
2: goal. Is Does the pleasure need to be, is it a physiological pleasure? Is it, you know... Um deriving benefit of you know what you're tasting versus um the could it be an intrinsic pleasure does it matter if it's extrinsic or intrinsic
5: yeah so that's this paper is is done especially sort of looking at that divide whether the benefits coming actually from the activity like you're just you know you're you really like running or you're getting those endorphins or if it's coming from outside the activity like sort of the netflix example that's not anything about running but it's still changing the experience of running and so uh, I think in this paper we show that either way it really um, it doesn't matter if it's coming from the activity itself or external to the activity if you can find you know pleasure in the activity that's intrinsic that'll help but if you could also add in something like the Netflix or the you know listening to music that's also going to work (laughs) Uh, but the important thing here I think is you're doing it for the long-term goal so I'm not saying like eat You know, just eat food that tastes good. It's like if you're trying to lose weight, you need to eat food that's good for you, but also that you enjoy.
2: Now, that makes sense. Yeah. But but, so help me with this, because some people would say, but the joy really, Caitlin, is looking in the mirror uh, an hour or whatever, two days later and seeing that you're losing weight. But you're Mm -hmm. saying that kind of long term goal isn't really as likely to keep you in the game as actually enjoying the activity somehow.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. So the, you know, looking at yourself, looking at the progress that you're making, um, seeing that change in the mirror, that I think is part of sort of the delayed benefit. So You get that as an outcome of your workout, right? If you put in the time at the gym, then you get that. And that's, I'm not trying to say that's not important because of course that's the whole reason that you're, you're going to the gym in the first place. Right. Uh, but but it's hard to, to use that when you're actually there on the treadmill. It's, it's hard to find motivation in, in that because it's not really accessible to you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that you'll get later.
2: It really it sounds like what you're talking about is motivation, right? So motivation um, to keep doing the activity really means you have to derive some benefit in the activity. And if you, you have to make the connection to the real-time activity. Because if yeah, you're not connected, definitely. then you're not going to stay motivated to it. Mm-hmm. So I guess really then, if if my long-term goal is to lose 30 pounds, um, all I need to do, if I really want to be effective at this, is find a means to the 30-pound weight loss that is beneficial and der- I derive benefit doing.
5: Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. Um, so, you know, you could... You work out with Netflix. You can work out with a friend. Any way to make that that working towards that goal more motivating, more enjoyable for you would help you to achieve that. Hmm.
2: And I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, if if I'm more motivated by Netflix than talking to another human, um, if that <laughs> if that were the case, then that in and of itself, being caught up in a, a series, and I'm only going to allow myself to watch this series while I'm exercising. That that could be immensely motivating. Now, so then, um, when I when I think of this, th- this makes total sense, right? It's, it makes total sense. So why do people not just do this naturally? What mistake are we making?
5: Yeah. So I think the the mistake that people make is that when they're planning their goal pursuit, when they're planning their next workout, they don't think about the immediate benefit. They don't realize it's going to be important for their persistence they're focused on the delayed benefit right they're thinking about the reason i go to the gym maybe it's to lose weight maybe it's to get in shape and they're not thinking oh you know i really need to make my workout enjoyable otherwise it won't be something that i stick with um so it's sort of that that gap the reason why you're pursuing the activity is not the same as the reason that you stick with it in the moment
2: Hmm. isn't it it's funny too because we this would be really important stuff for every you know what do they call them, like exercise coach, um, trainer, to, to, to help them because you might be mismotivating people. You might be motivating people more on a delayed benefit than on the immediate benefit, but the immediate benefit is where the rubber meets the road.
5: Yeah, yeah. They they, they maybe are focusing them on that weight loss school and and not on the yeah the actual like, yeah. experience that they're having. Just
2: mm-hmm. imagine when you walk into your high school reunion and you're in that yeah. red dress you wore in high school. I mean, like okay, yeah, that'll be great someday. But <laughs> I need a marshmallow today.
5: Mm-hmm. That's cool. Exactly. What
2: yeah. what made you want to study this, Caitlin? Of all the things you could be studying at the University of Chicago.
5: So I'm really interested in uh, consumer goal pursuit and motivation and uh, I thought that it seemed in the literature people were kind of neglecting this this immediate experience right like sort of the marshmallow study like you mentioned in the in the beginning people are saying no like immediate experiences are actually going to tempt us away from our goals right but I thought maybe there's a way to actually harness this and harness the the fun to actually help work towards the goal so it's not that I'm you know, going to go watch Netflix and not work out, but you can actually, you can pair those together. Potentially you can um, harness these immediate rewards to to help motivate people.
2: Well, and it seems like, boy, I never thought of it this way, but you're also talking at the, at the Booth School of Business, you're talking consumer activity as well. So, boy, if I wanted to motivate more shopping, then it would behoove me as a company to find ways to make sure you're enjoying it.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same thing with um, you know things like I think it's really important for retaining customers, like repeat purchases. Mm. That the the experience is maybe what's going to help people to stay with your company or stay with your service. Uh, they might be signing up for you know delayed benefits, like maybe getting a promotion. That's what they, that's what attracts them, but what's going to keep them actually is that experience that they're having at
2: huh. the moment. And maybe I guess is that how we should hire. That makes a lot of sense too. That if I'm hiring. Um, I want to maybe make sure that they that they're going to fit into the immediate benefit packaging of our current system, not just the delayed yeah. thing. they're going to want the goals. They may want the long term goals, the four hundred one ks, but in the end, that which are kind of delayed benefits of a of a job. But there's immediate benefits that they've got to really bite off on.
5: Mm-hmm. Yep. So we looked at this also with yeah with people who. Uh, are thinking about their current job versus a future job, what they value and what what 's important to them? Um, we find similar results there, so in the moment, people really value the connection that they have with others and their you know whether you get along with your colleagues that 's what 's important uh, but when you 're thinking about your next job you 're not really thinking about that you 're thinking about like you said like the pay package
2: it 's so true and uh, I just bought a car as well, and when I bought the car. It's funny. I was I, – all of my goals were about like the delayed goals. Am I going to – is it going to be a good investment? Is it a smart buy? Will I retain its val- – will it retain its value? But what I'm now frustrated with about the car is some of the lack of immediate benefits, some of the things mm-hmm. that I sh- want right now in the car that have nothing to do with, well, yeah, it's going to have a great resale value.
5: Right, right.
2: Exactly. Well, great because I want – my seats aren't even heated. So how am I going (laughs) to heat my seat when I'm cold? (laughs) We're pitiful, Caitlin, pitiful. Hey, um, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. And then why don't you walk us through some just some some good things we should be asking, thinking about when it comes to setting these reasonable kind of uh, these immediate type of goals. We're again, we're speaking with Ph.D. candidate Caitlin Woolley who is a candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, and she'll be uh, joining the marketing, marketing faculty at Cornell University this summer as an assistant professor. Great lessons about life and goal setting. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Today, we're talking about goal setting and what separates goals uh, that we achieve from those that we don't achieve. Well, apparently, one of the keys to uh, the goals that we achieve are we actually derive immediate benefit in the moment um, by when we're doing the goal, we actually see the benefit and how it impacts us. And we like it. So when we like doing it, and we see the benefit, it helps us, uh, you know, stick to the task. Until it sticks to you. So join us to talk about this. And her research is Caitlin Woolley. Caitlin is a PhD candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and will soon be on the marketing faculty at Cornell University as an assistant professor there. And uh, she wrote an article for Harvard Business Review that we are going over. Goal setting, what separates goals we achieve from the goals we don't. Caitlin, thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Matt. So um, when we talk about it, I guess one key is we've got to have some immediate benefit. Uh, that keeps us sticking to the goal uh, over the long term. Did you find anything else that was key to setting these goals?
5: Yes, we found a, a couple of things. Um, one thing that we see is that the, the delayed benefit does have some importance. So I'm not trying to say, I guess, here that the, the immediate benefits is the only thing that matters. For one, the, the delayed benefits, what's get what's getting people to initiate their goal in the first place. So you have to value that long-term outcome, uh, getting a good grade or uh, doing well on your exam. Um, and and what also we, we found that I was kind of surprised by was that, because uh, initially in the studies, it was only the immediate benefit that seemed to be predicting persistence.
1: Mm-hmm. But if
5: you look across all five of the studies that we have, the delayed benefit does matter somewhat uh, to to help with the goal achievement. So it's not the case that the, the immediate benefit is the only thing that matters, but yeah. it's also uh, having that delayed goal that you're that you're able to get that's going to predict your persistence.
2: I guess the delayed benefit is um, the is what actually initiates the goal making because you're like I want to lose weight, so now I need to exercise, and I'll find immediate benefit in exercising somehow. But you see, so so to some degree, you've got to you got to. You got to want the delayed benefit. What do you did you have you found anything about people that just don't? I mean, are there some people that just don't set goals? They just eh, mm-hmm. I just don't want to go there.
5: Yeah. So that's yeah, that's a good point. So in our research, we've looked at mostly people who do value the long term goal because that's sort of you have to have that buy in, like you said, to sort of start to start working towards it. Uh, but I think I mean, even if you don't have a goal. Of eating healthy if you are if you you know find some vegetables are tastier than others and you're going to eat more of the ones that that taste good so i think uh like we have a vegetable study in in our paper i think um it's the immediate benefit could still sort of help with these these positive behaviors but it might not be totally there if you don't have that buy-in with the delayed benefit Hmm.
2: is what about just the reasonableness of the goal can a goal be too audacious too out there that it's it it actually becomes you know disincentivized you you're unmotivated to do it
3: yeah
5: definitely and i think i think that's kind of the problem that um that happens oftentimes right so you're setting a goal and you might be too strict with it initially right so you want to run every day for like the next month and then that's just not really attainable for you uh, and then you're going to to drop out So you have to be able to find something that uh, that's, I guess, within your reach, and I think that's part of why the immediate benefits where that comes in. Because uh, if you if you set that goal that you're going to try and run every day, it might not be something that you can actually fit into your schedule or that you even really want to make time for. Um, so if you're able to to work towards something that you're enjoying, then you'll make that time for, it and you'll you'll find a way to um, to push
2: through with it. Hmm. Is um, I, I mean I, I guess how much how important of a part. Does the environment play in? I guess your one thing you're saying is the environment needs. You need to derive benefit from the activity or the or the environment, the situation you're in. But it seems like everybody's so different. Like I, I personally don't want to exercise with people. And I don't know what it is. I think it's like I, I'd i rather go into my happy place to um, to try to force my body to do things than have to try to create a conversation while I'm forcing my body to do things.
5: No, definitely. And I think that's, you know, this is where it kind of it gets customizable to the person, right? So sometimes people ask me, like, what's the key to, to achieving your goal? Uh, but it's going to depend on what works for you, right? So if you... Are the type of person that you just want to really relax during your workout then maybe you'll do yoga and you'll find relaxation there if you really want some sort of high impact or high involved activity with other people you could join sports team and so it's not uh, I guess every trick isn't going to work for everyone but the the overall takeaway is to find what works for you and what's going to bring you that that pleasure in the moment that experience that uh, is rewarding um, to help you stick with your goal
2: because you really have to choose the right activity you have to kind of choose the right conditions for you. You have to, I guess, decide the social setting you want it to, to, to possess. I mean, there's really a lot of factors to what makes it immediately beneficial for you. And I mean, I've seen, have you ever seen a situation where, you know, one person came to play golf with you and all of a sudden it didn't seem as immediately beneficial?
1: <laughs>
2: so it could just be one factor is off and it immediately can ruin your goal setting.
5: Yeah, well, I see that here in Chicago, too, because the winter, it's really hard to do anything outside. And so it's much easier to get out when it's a nice day out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So one factor is off. I mean, isn't it funny? You can exercise really well in the summer and it's like amazing because that one condition is there. But in midwinter, you're just I guess it's just time to pack on the pounds. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you so as you've gone through this, where do you see that you're going to take the research going forward?
5: Yeah, so let's, um, there's a couple of projects I'm working on now. Uh, one, we're actually looking at immediate negative goals. Um, so, so whether, uh, or not immediate negative goals, but immediate negative experiences and whether there's any, uh, any motivating power in that. Um, we're also looking at how we can use rewards to uh, increase enjoyment. So does it is it the case that you, you know, you're working towards your goal and you're getting some immediate benefit? does that actually change how you perceive that activity? Then if that activity is giving you like a a delayed benefit later on,
2: interesting kind of
5: some on, yeah, ongoing projects that, um, that I've been working on.
2: So, so that's an interesting point too, then um, is delayed. So we're talking about delayed goals, but so delayed feedback versus immediate feedback um, Mm -hmm. is, 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 could be possibly a motivator as well. Mm -hmm. If the feedback comes too late, in the cycle, you may, it may not keep you, uh, engaged as if it's, that's why, you know, at the end of something fun that you've done, you know, it was fun and you're thinking, I didn't want that to end. Let's do that again.
1: Yeah.
5: So I think it's very much related to, to this work here. Um, and we also had some work where we were actually trying to, to look at in, like ways that people could make the activity more fun. So kind of like I was talking about before, um, can you actually change your experience so that it's more enjoyable for you? So sort of choosing workouts, choosing one that's more fun for you, or uh, like listening to music or eating snacks when you're working on homework, is that going to get you to stick with your homework more? Um, So it's actually trying to change behavior by making the experience more
2: enjoyable. Hmm. You know, um, because going to your negative benefit, uh, so I've uh, I've had basically a gallbladder problem not to get too personal with you, Caitlin, but a gallbladder problem. And, but what's interesting is your body gives you immediate feedback about something. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. when I'm feeling good and I'm, and I'm not having the gallbladder issue, my brain thinks, Hey, just try, just try the enchilada. Just try it. (laughs) Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Just try it. But, um, And it's funny because my body, oh, my brain is like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure enchilada has fat in it and you're not supposed to have fat in your diet, but maybe try it. Then in the, so then a second later I try it and now I'm sick. And in the sickness, I'm like, why did you try that? It's it's so powerful what you're feeling and how that impacts your choices. Definitely.
5: And I I think you can, you see that a lot with the medical domain too with people Adhering to medicine. So once you start to feel better, you don't think that you need to take the medicine anymore. Right. right? And so that's, yeah, that's sort of on, on similar lines, definitely.
2: So, in a way, I guess, but it's almost like you can't harness the negative very long. um I mean, because as long as you're no longer feeling the negative, you, I mean, everybody has gone to a restaurant where they got sick or whatever, but it really doesn't last very long before you're thinking, hey, maybe we got to go back there. <laughs> like that was an anomaly. It, d- does the I negative hold nervous. a, does it just, does the negative not last as long as the positive?
5: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. So this is like sort of very early on stages. And so this is something that we're, we're trying to unpack too. Because on the other hand, you you do find that people remember negative things.
2: Yeah. More oh, you think right
5: out. So yeah. Yeah.
2: But maybe, yeah. Isn't it weird, especially when it comes to our health, but, um, And so many of us – like I had a really bad – I went and shot a video for a workout. Anyway, it was a nightmare. And um, it was so negative for me just to have to go through it publicly, A, and then just sweating but thinking I'm going to die and have a heart attack at the same time. Um, All of that made it so I cannot go to this one place to work out anymore. I just can't go there.
5: Because it's, because it's stuck with you and you think I uh-huh. can't get that out. Yeah, yeah. like
2: get it out of my system. But <laughs> meanwhile, the, the place had nothing to do with it, but it's, it's just the symbol that I made out of the place. Like that is the mm-hmm. sign of all things that are bad. I guess we do that as we're all trying to make it through our goals. Well, uh, Caitlin, this is cool research. Uh, We wish you the best of luck. Keep it up as you get to Cornell as well. Um, Again, her name is Caitlin Woolley, PhD candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, on her way to the faculty at Cornell University and uh, helping us be better. The article is called Goal Setting, What Separates Goals We Achieve from Goals That We Don't. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, Lauren Simpson will be giving us an emotional intelligence quiz. All that ahead, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, a little uh, quiz show music for you. Uh, Lauren Simpson joins us, and I was asking her really quickly at the break, "What's your mate?" But you're sticking with your maiden name, Lauren Simpson.
0: I am. I've grown up my whole life with my last name, and I figured it probably doesn't matter until we have kids. So we're gonna sort it out then.
2: That's right. Well, so Jeff didn't ruin the name Simpson for you.
0: No, actually, he just stole it. Is all he did.
2: He stole it. (laughs)
3: Wait, how old are you? (laughs) <laughs> I Je- think I might been, be a little older yeah. than
2: you Jeff's been yeah you're probably he's been using that name for a long time
0: he has but I see actually there's a girl on the wall there's a girl named Lauren Simpson who yeah. won an award and every time I pass it I'm just so jealous it's you
2: but you know people think it's you
0: people think I like, won the award Lauren you're Lauren amazing Simpson.
2: I've been here 10 years well Lauren is going to do a little quiz for us on emotional intelligence one of my favorite subjects
0: I am yeah, but maybe I won't know
2: as much as maybe. I thought I know
0: maybe not so we'll this find is out. a true test yeah Okay, well, the answers are over here. Because we
2: hear so emotional kind of intelligence all the time. It's more valuable than intelligence, intelligence.
0: Right. We learned that you actually make more money yeah. in work and you can climb the ladder faster if you've yeah. got emotional intelligence. Totally. All right. So the que- the first question is, 40% of our happiness level is in our control. True or false?
2: 40% of our happiness level is in our control. I would say yes. At least.
1: That is correct.
0: <laughs> yes. The yes. other 60% has to do with our environment and... Stuff that happens.
2: Yep. Can't control that. that. Control. Can't control the weather. Can't control your pancreas exploding in your gut.
0: You can control how you look at it, though.
2: I can control what I've eaten for 20 years.
0: <laughs> and speaking of weather, that's actually the next question. Weather can influence our feelings, true or false?
2: Oh, true. Totally.
0: Definitely. Now, now
2: it's in, why, though? Uh, is it is it actual... It's the it, sunlight sunlight yeah oxytocin or uh, dopamine what's it called um, serotonin that comes from the sun as well yeah but also just I wonder if the pressure like barometric pressure you know how people like they start like having an ache in their leg right. when it's gonna snow
0: well, I wonder if elevation then has to do with that
2: no totally because my mom it just is right now in San Francisco area and she has a breathing problem here in Utah but when she gets to San Francisco she can breathe fine So it's like we need to now move her to San Francisco. Right. And she doesn't want to go. (laughs) She wants to stay with her family. No, we're sending you off to San Francisco. She would be lovely there. She would become the new San Francisco treat. (laughs) She totally would. (laughs) Ching, ching. The little bells on the trolley. Give us more, Lauren. This is cool.
0: Well, you're doing well. The University of Florida study found that the smell of blank has a positive influence on your emotions.
2: Uh, Sweet rolls. (laughs) Wrong. Uh, okay, now so the smell of
0: what makes you happy? What what smell? Springtime, uh, something's in the air. Sw- sw- Something you get your mom for Mother's Day.
2: Uh, sweet rolls. Um, <laughs> I can't get sweet rolls out of my mind.
0: Flowers, Matt!
2: Oh, flowers. Does it really?
0: <laughs> yeah, flowers can make you happier.
2: That's totally true. Lavender. And
0: here we thought they were just dying on our kitchen table.
2: Yeah, that's funny. Now I hope my wife is listening because she doesn't like flowers. Really? Flowers make me happy. You've got your cake flour. You've mm-hmm. got your my white flour. Cake flour. Mm-hmm. You've got your coconut flour. Mm-hmm.
0: And then perfumes. Yeah. Perfumes can make you happy too. Oh no, really? Yeah, just certain types of perfumes. It didn't per- really list probably the expensive ones that I can't afford.
2: But perf—oh, I did not think a perfume would make you happy.
0: <laughs> that's, it's
2: interesting, but flowers I the can smell. Totally see. Actually, can. I like it. Okay, this is good. Good learning.
0: All right, certain foods can make you happy because they release tryptophan. Yes. Okay, can you name just one of these foods? Turkey. Turkey. Turkey is one of them.
2: But what else releases tryptophan?
0: Uh, nuts, chicken, milk. That's in your cake.
2: Uh, ah, yeah. I can't eat cake. Cake is what set me off the other night.
0: Well, you can blend it up.
2: No, I can't have anything. For yeah, fat liquefy in it. it. Mm. No, because <laughs> it's it's the fat. Oh, don't even say the word cake.
0: Oh, first, <laughs> well, we know what we're going to bring you after your recovery.
2: Okay, yeah, oh, for sure. When I'm all healthy, bring me the cake.
0: Okay, I'll so most it. people, they know that Denmark's the happiest country in the world. Do you wrong. You know? <laughs> do you know where the U.S. ranks in that list? 30th. No.
2: Higher? You're wrong. Higher. 20th. A little higher. 15th. 17th. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting.
0: Well, it's actually six places behind last year. So we're slipping. We're slipping. We're getting less happy.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. It's because of the show.
0: Is that what it is? We're
2: not doing our job. <laughs> Focus! Okay, that's good news. I mean, not good news. Good news for Denmark, for heaven's sake. Right, yeah.
0: Denmark's keeping... This is the second year in a row it's gotten first. And
2: you think that that doesn't seem like it's always sunshiny and perfect and...
0: We're not really sure what Denmark's doing over there. I think there.
2: it's just they've got a cool I, life. I
0: wonder if they're just optimistic. Someone hands out the survey and... Yeah, sure. They say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy.
2: Sure. I like it. Okay. What okay. else?
0: So officially in I guess scientific worlds, there are nineteen smiles. They can categorize these by the way your muscles move and yeah. other things. Can you name one of them?
2: Uh, the cheesy grin.
0: Sure. <laughs> Actually, they don't have a lot of very scientific names for these nineteen smiles. The only one that most people know is the Duchesne smile. So that's the authentic.
2: Oh really? Real the full on smile.
0: When you're super happy and someone tells just the they best call joke it you've Duchesne? ever Duchesne? Duchesne smile.
2: Oh wow! And There's then the, the other
0: ones are closer to what you said, like the polite smile. The, yeah, the, the cheesy nervous. smile, the nervous <laughs> your smile, boss made a joke.
2: There's Jeff's smile. That's the mischievous smile, <laughs> like he's about to push a button. That's cool. Lauren, give us one more, one more quick one.
0: All right. Um, you know, actually, that was all my questions.
2: That was it. So you, by the way, the nice Duchesne smile. No, let me Let me tally up your score here. Let's yeah, see how you, how you did. Uh, Oh. oh, Not a winner today, Matt. Sorry. Oh. The guy it cannot. was really close. It was really close. The guy cannot next add. Time. Lauren Simpson, thank you so much. Great hi, job. Hi. Great quizzery. Quizz- quizzery We will take a break, my friends. Come back. Hour number three up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt
2: Townsend Show.
1: Dr. Matt
2: Townsend. Now on
1: BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
2: Have we been telling stories that we really haven't even thought about, but we use these phrases like, I'm not very good at that. Yeah, I don't do that. I'm not a math person. We might quickly dismiss something we do by saying, ah, it's just the way I am. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not, I don't like to hold the grandbabies. I, I, I want them, I'm a, I'm a grandpa that'll play with them when they're older. Well, let go of that story and pick up your grandbaby. Get rid of the story. You don't have to be pegged by something you thought you were 30 years ago. It's not like somebody's going to say, Grandpa, do this math. So you, you don't have to be bad at math anymore. You've got a brain. You can still add. Anyway, it's simple to just sit there and have a trite phrase that we use all of the time. But many of these phrases, they're not going to help you. They beat you up. They, they actually take away something. They could take away something like time with your kids or your grandkids. Yeah, I don't have time for that. Yeah, hobbies, you know, I don't golf because it's a waste of time. Now, you don't have to go golf, but that's also a story because it could be really time well spent. Exercising, hanging out with friends, opening your mind up, meditating, wrapping your golf club around a tree, stuff like that. Another thing we need to let go of is the need to keep score. Let's just get very clear, folks. Life isn't fair. So if it's not fair, then there's probably no value in keeping score. <laughs> People are going to step on you. They're going to make mistakes. Someone's going to pull in front of you, and it is going to slow you down ten hundredths of a second. Yeah, it happens. Doesn't mean you need to chase them down and pull in front of them. The reason why it, it's not useful to keep score is because much of life is intangible anyway. The greatest benefits in life are intangible. There's They're not even... You can't mark it. You can't compare it. The joy you feel being with a grandchild, the joy you feel watching your child have a home run or hit a home run in a game man, that's incredible. And why are we keeping score? It's not fair. At some point, people are going to step on your toes, they're going to do stupid stuff. This isn't a race. It's called life. So if you feel a need to keep score constantly, then guess what? You're going to pay for it. There's going to be problems for you. Another thing we need to let go of are what I call the overs and the unders. Every one of us tends to take extremes in our lives. We either go overboard or under, right? So we play way too hard and excessive in what we do. We play to kill for keeps. We play to dominate. And some of us just don't play. Think about your life. Where are you overboard? Well, I, I collect figurines. I have 12,000 of them. Okay, it's a little over. Maybe you're a little overboard on that. Uh, you don't have to be a fanatic to believe in God. You don't have to go overboard or under. Yeah, I don't even go to church. You can actually go to church and just be there. Be there your way. Yeah, but then they'll ask me to pray, and then I gotta pray. And... Well, you could say no. You're listening to the best of the Matt Townsend Show. Overs and unders, we all do it, and it, sometimes it's over. You know, we're overconfident, uh, and some of us are really underconfident. We lack the confidence we need. Are there certain things that take you to an extreme? Are you doing any activity excessively? Do you over do you overschedule your life? Do you overcommit to everything? Are you overly exhausted? Or do you, you know, have plenty of energy because you don't ever say yes to anything and you don't ever step out of your comfort zone? We might want to look at that and let go of it. You might want to let go of what's not working. Sometimes in life there's just time to let go of stuff that just isn't working. It's... it's. How many times do you keep trying to do something over and over and it's just not working? We keep trying it. That could, I mean, I see it a lot with my clients where they just keep trying and trying and trying to do to have a conversation, even though it's not working. Well, what are we supposed to do, just not talk? Well, no, but go learn how to make it work. Find another way to do this. There are different ways to try stuff. And with today's technology and today's day and age, if, if the way you keep trying to lose weight isn't working and it hasn't for 30 years, maybe you've got to let go of that way of losing weight. Maybe it's not about watching your calories. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's another way to skin the cat. I don't know why we're skinning cats, but. Seems gotta, a little cruel to me. Yeah, to you skin, don't have to skin a, skin cat, a cat, cat to lose weight. You don't. But find another way to do it. Just go find something you're passionate about. Well, I really love racquetball, but I, it doesn't help me with my calories. Well, okay. There's, but then go do more racquetball. You know, I don't know. Just We've got to find a different way of doing things, That, especially after years of something not working. Another thing we might want to do is get rid of our need to accumulate stuff. Oh, it's just stuff we keep. I kept – and I have no idea why I did it. I kept every script basically for our radio show. Every article I read, we we accumulate about 20, 30 pages of information that we use for this show every day. And I would just staple them all together and put them in a file. I threw them out. Actually, I had, I had Kaylee throw them out. She broke her – she ba- darn near broke her back trying to lift this – lift these papers it's crazy we accumulate stuff like it matters but then when you look at people like gandhi you know buddha christ these people were known for what they didn't have they didn't try to get their identity from their stuff maybe we could just throw more stuff out you know recycle more get rid of stuff declutter so i challenge you as springs are coming Let's declutter. Get in there and seriously, get rid of a third of your stuff. Well, but I might need it. Have you needed it the last 10 years? Well, no, but I might retire in 10 more years and then I might need it. Believe me, by the time you retire in 10 years, you won't need it. You'll have an iPhone that does everything for you. Another thing we might let go of is just one bad habit. Think of one bad habit. You might have 50. Ben has 250. And growing. And growing. Just get rid of one bad habit. Just one thing. What's one thing you can just figure out how to stop doing today? One thing. Let's just get it off our plate. Oh. One bad habit. Ben, what's your bad habit you're going to get rid of? Caring too much. Oh, brother. Caring too much. When did that start? That's my defect. That's my only defect. My only weakness. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Don't even worry about it. Never mind. I knew I shouldn't have asked him. Just one bad habit. What's your your worst habit? I care too much. So I'm going to let it go and turn into a horrible, evil person. That's one of the great lines. What's your worst um, – what would you say is your worst habit uh, as we're about to hire you for this job? My worst habit is I, I try too hard. I work endlessly. You're amazing. I know. You got to hire me. Anyway, let go of just one bad habit. So there you have it, folks. A few ideas for you, things we can let go of. Project elimination. Let go of stories that don't service. Let go of the need to keep score. Let go of the overs and the unders, the extremes that we take. Let go of what is not working. Let go of the need to accumulate stuff. And let go of one bad habit. Even if that habit is you care too much. That's the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be back. More tools, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us, folks. You know, life is hard, if you haven't noticed. There is no getting around it. But for some reason, it makes us feel better when we learn that we aren't the only one struggling. And one awesome example of this is our next guest, Christina Kuzmich. She's a freelance writer, a blogger, and uh, she's become a YouTube sensation as well with her mom-centric videos about raising children and juggling all of life's challenges. Now she has over 300 million views across media outlets and other websites worldwide and she's here today to talk about uh, an article she wrote, Broken But Not Worthless, uh, Christina Kuzmich. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: I loved this story, this article you wrote. You're so real, and um, honestly, you were in a deep, dark funk. You were depressed, and you found a way out.
3: Yes, I was. I was newly divorced. I had a two- and a three-year-old at the time, and um did not ask for child support just kind of wanted to leave with no drama and no court cases and none of that and um ended up finding myself almost homeless because of all that so i was um sleeping on the floor i couldn't even afford a bed my kids and i shared a little room and a friend of mine bought them bunk beds so they wouldn't have to sleep on the floor and it was just i just sunk into a really deep depression that's something i really never experienced
2: in my life before. I mean, it's and you what I love about your your site and your work is you you just kind of jump right in you and you share it in such a real way that I think I'm I'm sitting there and I'm a married uh, man with six kids in Utah and I'm sitting there thinking I totally relate to her. I totally feel like Christina. And again, I didn't know where it was going. But you, you were down and you, you've got the, not the burden, the blessing of the kids, but the reality of the kids are you're not doing this alone. You've got to get these kids through this as well. Is, is this something that you find in your writing? Um, does, it, does it resonate? Is that what you do is just recognize there's universal issues we're all dealing with and we need to talk about it?
3: Yeah, I mean, my theory is that every single person struggles. Every single human struggles. And once you become a parent, you know, that struggle in a way multiplies because now you're not just worried about your own, you know, well-being. You're worried about the most important people in your life. And so, and a lot of times as we become parents especially, we're expected to just be perpetually grateful. And, it, you know, I think parenthood is amazing. I feel so thankful and blessed that i was able to have children i was actually told in college because of some health issues i wouldn't be able to oh wow so the fact that i have three children i you know all natural i didn't have to worry about getting pregnant it just happened is such a blessing but i think what happens is that a lot of moms feel guilty admitting that they and dads too that they don't love every second of it that Mm -hmm. it gets really hard and so they have to put on this fake face of yeah everything's great i love it and so when somebody comes along and goes you know what not loving every moment of motherhood or parenthood doesn't mean you don't love your children. And, you know, it's okay to admit that we all struggle and we all have hard days. I think it just gives people a freedom. Like, I, I compare it to, you know, you feel like you're drowning in stress and someone finally gives you a chance to take a deep breath and go, it's okay, it's mm. okay.
2: It's so true. Um, and, but by, by mentioning it, by you mentioning it, and then getting all of the attention and, and the acclaim that you get – because of it, I guess you've hit the nerve. I mean, a lot of – and I think some of this is Facebook, social media, because we tend to show only the pretty side. But if we go to your website, com, you see that sometimes the not-so-pretty side. Well, you in a pretty dress but cleaning the toilet.
3: <laughs> right.
2: So, I mean, there, I actually, there's a reality to the whole thing.
3: Yeah, I actually – it's funny you mention the social media thing because a few months ago I made a video called um, How to Fake Your Perfect Life on Social Media – And I sarcastically give examples of this is how, you know, you can make your life appear really great and perfect and flawless on social media. And it's these ridiculous examples, you know, where my teenage son won't hug me for a photo. So I take a photo of him with a girl he likes and I Photoshop my face on her so that I can (laughs) post it. Look, my son loves, you know, it's just it's over the top ridiculous. But I'm exactly trying to point out what you're talking about is that, you know, we we try we literally exhaust ourselves trying to paint our life into this perfection that it's not instead of going, listen, I'm flawed. My life is flawed. And that doesn't make it bad. It makes it wonderful because we're getting through it and we're making the best of it. And, you know, my opinion is that our struggles and our flaws actually make us much better, you know, realer.
2: Yeah, totally. No, don't you think? And I mean, and again, I think we need leaders like you that are leaders in the industry and again, you're leading because you resonate and it resonates with people. Then you bring up, I think, another issue like depression and mm-hmm. – because depression – and it's interesting because the way I, I read your – I read your articles is I listen to them. So mm-hmm. um, I just download them to a reader and then the reader talks like Siri to me, my new my, – my love of my life. <laughs> and, um But I when I hear it and then I hear how well you write and I you're like, I mean, your first sentence in the broken but not worthless article is I was sad. Understatement. I was depressed, depressed. And then you mentioned the word depressed a dozen times or so. Um, Talk about how you got out of this is just one example, I think, of what you bring to life. But talk about how you found your way out of depression.
3: Sure. So what I realized after months of just, you know, being in a really bad place was one day it just hit me. I'm completely obsessed with myself, like in a really bad way. I'm obsessed with my misery. And the people, other people that I've talked to that have gone through depression say the same thing. Yep. That's, I mean, I think I write in the article something like, I breathe and ate and drank and made out with self-pity. And that's mm. literally how it felt. I literally, that is all I thought about was my life is horrible. I am miserable. This will never get better. And that's That's a normal feeling when you're depressed, right? Everything is doom and gloom. And so I thought, I I had this, you know, brilliant thought one day. I don't know if it was brilliant or what. And I thought, oh, my gosh, the only way to get out of that obsession with myself is to, you know, put it towards someone else. I'm going to start obsessing, uh, you know, over something positive, something else. And so I decided to volunteer. And I called up, you know, hospitals and homeless shelters (laughs) and soup kitchens and got denied from every single place. Yeah, we don't need you to
2: volunteer. That's so sad.
3: Which. Which, by the way, if you already feel like a you know, completely worthless loser, mm-hmm. a volunteer organization denying you to come help, like that's going to take you to a whole another level. I can't of, even you know,
2: volunteer losers. right. Yeah, right.
3: Exactly. But the reason they wouldn't take me is that I had a two- and a three-year-old and I was broke and couldn't afford a babysitter. So I'd have to bring them and, you know, you, nobody wants two- and a three-year-old. <laughs> right. So, um, so then I'm back again with all these depressed feelings and nobody wants me. You know, I can't even volunteer. And then I started thinking one night, okay, even though I feel worthless, even though I have nothing, is there one tiny little thing I can do that I'm good at? And the only thing, which seemed pointless, but the only thing I could think of was I know how to cook a big meal with no money. Like, I can cook a huge meal on a very small budget. And so without even thinking through completely impulsively, I sent an email to all my friends in my city, and I said, every Wednesday night I'm going to feed people in my little apartment. And so if you know somebody who's, you know, struggling, who's maybe homeless, if you know someone who, you know, is just lonely, like an elderly man who just lost his wife or so, whoever, whatever the yeah. need is, I will feed people. And, uh, and then I talk about in the article how that first Wednesday, made this big pot of pasta and basically these strangers started showing up <laughs> in my house. And I fed over, I mean, I could cry right now, every time I talk about it, I get, you know, choked up. But I fed over 30 people um, wow. in my tiny, tiny little apartment, you know, on,
2: you on know, food stamps
3: Yes. And there's something so powerful. I, I, I won't forget those images of me handing a plate of food to somebody. By the way, a lo- a, not all these people were poor. Right. A lot of these people had more money than me. They just needed company. They just, need, you know, they needed a home cooked meal for whatever reason. They were new to town, whatever. And so for me, this girl is feeling so small and like a loser to be giving something like, look, I have something to offer you. And then, you know, the next day I get emails, oh my gosh, that night meant so much. Thank you so much. And I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out going, wow, even when I feel like I have nothing, I still have something to offer. And that was a turning point for me completely because I still, to this day, life is way better. Things are, you know, good now. And I still approach my life that way. I'm done focusing on what I don't have and I can't do and all the bad stuff in my life. And even if the list of things I can do and am good at is smaller than that list of negatives, I'm focusing on that small list. And that's what's led me to really enjoy and embrace my life.
2: And you... It's really neat because before it all you were so motivated, you got it all done. I mean, by the way, Christina, it's absurd, right? Because you don't even have the money to do this. You didn't even have the money. You you went to the dollar store to go to go find all of this food and to buy the pasta. And then you put all your money into it. And a half hour before, you were terrified, like, what if no one shows? What if no one shows? And you open the door at 6 o'clock and no one's there. And five minutes later, though, they start coming.
3: Yeah, because you have to understand. Think of, like, a friend that is just in the worst place. Would you ever bring people you know to their house? Yeah, to? I just thought Train wreck. like no. gonna be em- yeah, all my friends are gonna be embarrassed. Like, here's this depressed girl; she's always crying, she's struggling, she's got all these issues. I'm not bringing my friends over there. So I just I just thought mm. no one was gonna show up.
2: But they did, and I guess too that that's part of this um, because you you all, you also had a network of friends that got you know, that Christina, she can cook and this will be a great experience. And you don't know, this, I guess, is what you don't know. You don't know what part of it was charity for you, uh, what part of it was just charity for others. But in the end, yeah. everybody, those that sent people to you knowing it would be good for you, those that sent people to you because they know you would help them, it just, it made everything better. For yeah,
3: a, I mean, one of my best friends... um who actually brought some people that night, that first night and continue. Cause I continued doing these for about a year. Um, he said to me, you know, we all pretended at the time that this was about, Oh yeah, she's helping these people. We all knew that this was really medicine for you. You needed this, you know? So it was like, my friends knew this. Yes. All these people will be helped. Yes. All these people will have a great meal, but this is, she needs this to heal herself. Yeah. So they, they knew it, you know
2: what? Um, by the way, the whole time I'm reading it too, I'm thinking, what a great lesson for your kids. Because your oh, your kids were involved. You had them serve water. You had them get the napkins. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. And it, it was a family event. Did What was it like for them, do you sense?
3: I mean, you know, it's interesting. You know, Mother's Day was just a Sunday. And we were sitting around at dinner and I'm remarried now. And my husband was like, okay, guys, tell mom something you love about her. And, you know, I was expecting them to be like, she's funny sometimes, (laughs) or, you know, I like her meatballs or whatever. And they both actually focused on that. And I don't think I even realized how much, not just that story, but obviously, you know, I've continued to do stuff with them where we, how can we think of others? How can we do random acts of kindness? How much that impacts them? You know, you, uh, we have kids and we ask them to do this stuff and a lot of times they're like mom do i have to you know that's the reaction we get or i'd rather just play video games than go you know hand out sandwiches or whatever (laughs) whatever the deal is we get this reaction from them and we don't realize till later and i didn't really realize till last sunday how much it actually meant to them and how much it's impacted them and um it was just really great to have my teenage son be like mom i i i know sometimes you don't even realize how much i remember and, you know, because he was really young when everything was happening. He, but he's like, I'm, when, and when I have a hard day, I always think if my mom could get through it, I can get through it. So, I mean, I was, you can imagine, I was bawling. <laughs> so I know it's impacted them in bigger ways than I even thought.
2: Did it, do you sense that um, it helped you? Because, you know, a lot of people would think, well, depression, you know, it's a chemical thing and you got to get the meds. And, um, how did it help you out of your depression? I mean, in long term, did depression just kind of go away for you? Was it more of a situational thing for you?
3: Well, see, I think depression just comes in so many different forms. And I think there are people that, you know, genetically inherit something or, you know, that it just depression runs in their family and that they, they might need medication. And, you know, for me, I had, I don't know much to you know about my backstory, but I grew up in Croatia and a war started there when I was 12. And from 12 to almost 15 when we moved to the States, I spent a lot of nights in basements, you know, trying not to die, basically. So I'd gone through heavy stuff before that didn't sink me into a depression. You yeah. know, this was like, I, I knew at the time, like, this is, when I was depressed, it felt permanent. But looking back, I realized, you know, it was this circumstance that, you know, it wasn't something I'd struggled with before. And so for me, this was, you know, this was my way out. And I think, that, I think for some people, stuff like this will help, just like getting outside your head and thinking about others. And other people might need, you know, to see a therapist regularly or need to get a medication. I just think it's a case by case thing.
2: No, I think you're right. And, and I and
3: know I, w- I would never be one to tell anyone, like, just do this. And just do it this Don't, way, don't yeah. even worry about seeing a doctor. Yeah. No. Like, do what you need to do to make yourself healthy.
2: And two, I think there's power in the fact that you listen to like a prompting, whatever this aha moment you had, you listen to it that and you recognized I'm into me. It's not a selfish thing. But when you're depressed, you get into yourself. If there's a way I can get out of myself and then you found a way out that works with your world. Let's uh, take a break. We're speaking with Christina Kuzmich. You can go to her website, Christina Kuzmich, K-U-Z-M-I-C dot com. And check out our wonderful website there as well. We'll take a break, come back, continue the journey, helping us understand uh, the value and the worth of a soul. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Our guest today is Christina Kuzmich. She is a blogger, has a wonderful um, website, christinakuzmich.com. She's also a speaker and a YouTuber. Uh, The Huffington Post referred to Christina's videos as parenting comedy at its finest. The Inquisitor praised her for her witty charm. And we are telling you, she's the bomb mom. And we appreciate you, Christina. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. This uh, when the I think, guess the key to what I see in your work is it's you're just real. Struggles are inherent in life and parenting um, and marriage. How do you? What are some little guides or some tools that you give to to not be taken? Uh, you know, to not be swept away in life.
3: Um. I think the main thing is just realizing you're normal. I mean, I, I think we all feel these things. I mean, every single human goes through these things of feeling guilty or, oh, I don't want anyone to know that I had this thought, or I don't want anyone to know that, you know, I didn't make a home-cooked meal seven days in a row, whatever. Yeah. And we just we lay in bed at night, and we literally just beat ourselves up over all the things we didn't do and all the things we feel bad about. And so I always tell parents, you know what? You're so busy focusing on the things you didn't accomplish that you forgot to focus on the things you did accomplish. So why don't you write those down? Right. I mean, even the general stuff, like, I kept my kids alive today.
2: You know, <laughs> Nobody died.
3: Said, yeah, my house is still standing. You know, I didn't get arrested today. I mean, even the funny stuff, like whatever it is, just, just write down, even if they're silly and they just make you laugh, or like real accomplishments. Because we're, this is what I always tell people. We are our worst abusers. I mean, yeah. we really are. If I would never, ever talk to my friends, my loved ones, the way I sometimes, you know, inwardly, my mind, where my mind goes, talk to myself. I would never be that mean to somebody else. And so I tell people, treat yourself the way you would treat your best friend, like whoever you adore the most in the world, your child, whoever. Treat yourself the same way. So when those thoughts creep up, you know, if your friends were saying that about themselves, you'd be like, that's not true. You're amazing. You're great. We We treat ourselves the worst. And so we got to start focusing on the positives and the accomplishments daily, even if they're tiny accomplishments, instead of beating ourselves
2: up. Mm. And how do you not lose your worth, right? I mean, that, the article, Broken But Not Worthless, what advice do you get? I mean, because we attach our worth to so many things like you're talking about, like being the perfect mom or having the perfect lunch or having the perfect outfit. And these are all things you kind of debunk in your program, yeah. I mean, in your, on your site. How do we not attach our worth to something that's going to, you know, disappear? And instead, what do we attach it to?
3: Well, here's what I always say. You know, I, you got to think what matters long-term. And whether I have the nicest house or the best hair or the whatever really does not matter long-term. And also, I always say, you know, what gives me... I've never done drugs. I've never been even been interested in doing drugs. Yeah. So I always think what my high in life has been doing for others. It literally gives me a high. And I always tell people, if you are stuck on, oh, this is bad and this is bad, it's just like, you know, when I did those Wednesday night dinners with my kids and we still do various different versions of things, that is that is that thing that's going to make you go, wow, my life is worth something. The minute you give outside yourself, if you are just obsessed with, your, again, your own life being perfect and your kids being perfect, and it's, it's all about you. And the minute you turn that around and go, no, I'm going to make it about somebody else. I'm going to go, you know, a video I just made recently is called Try This With Your Teen. And it's, this, you know, because parents ask me for activities with kids. Yeah. One of my favorite family activities. And you can even do this on a date night. It doesn't have to be with your kids, but I love doing it with my kids. We'll get in the car. And we have absolutely no plan and I'll say, Okay, we have two hours to complete three random acts of kindness with literally no plan. And now the kids are having a brainstorm as we're driving around, you know, and we'll see uh in the video I give the example, we see a laundromat and my son the first time we drove by one, my son said, Oh my goodness, I totally take the fact that we have a washer and a dryer in our house for granted. Let's <laughs> go over there and let's, you know, bless someone with some quarters. And so we did. We got a bunch of quarters and He walked up to this lady and handed her a bunch of quarters. I mean, she started crying over quarters. You know, something that we didn't even think was a big thing, but it meant a lot to her. You know, just so just driving around and finding these random ways. And they don't all require money. Right. One thing was we went into a parking lot that was just covered with shopping carts because people didn't put them back. And we thought, let's help these employees out. We took every single one of those carts back where it belonged. I mean... Just, but I'm telling you, like, even my kids, because kids also get very self consumed, especially in their teen years.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, they come back and my kids are like, oh my gosh, that was so fun. When are we doing it again? Because it's just giving of yourself and thinking of others is such a high. I mean, it, it is like the best way to sort of feel worth something, right? Because you are doing something good for others.
2: Mm, so true. I mean, it really, and again, it's, it's just I always call it arrows out versus arrows in. When we're yes. when we're anxious, we go arrows in. We worry about us. When we're depressed, we get go arrows in. Anytime you can direct those arrows out of us, it's, it, there's power there. Talk about um, your your marriage, your husband, because I mean, a lot of times life throws you a curveball in our marriages and our relationships. Things don't turn out the way we had dreamed. It's not the fairy tale. Then we feel alone and, and broken. But also, like you said, it became the moment. Um, this became a really defining moment for you as you were able to figure your way out of this. What is it? How does bringing now uh, your husband into your life, how has that changed it? And I mean, instead of just making life easier, it's complicated it, I'm sure, and enhanced it. <laughs>
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that I think with marriage, it's like we just got to accept that nobody's perfect. We're not perfect. They're not perfect. You know, and I think we you know, sometimes I hate all those Disney movies because they give kids an idea that life is a fairy tale. And it's not. But I also think I think the problem is that we want marriages to be good just by being good without our actually us actually having to put much effort into it. It's like. You know, we want we want romance and excitement and all this stuff in, in marriage to just show up like, like you order it on Amazon Prime and a box arrives and you open <laughs> it and all of a sudden, oh, here's the fun D- and the romance. There it is. You know, it's like we get lazy. We don't want to work at it. And so um, I think because I've gone through a divorce and, you know, a bad marriage, I probably have a different perspective where I appreciate more, you know, the things that maybe I would overlook. Yeah. You know, I hadn't gone through that. But um, I think it's all, I think we have so much power to create the kind of marriage we want. And, you know, we just, my husband and I do a lot of, you know, we always think like, okay, am I treating my spouse the way I treated them when I first, like them because we don't, you yeah. know. We we get over the newness, you know, the everything new is fun, right? It's like a new car. We love the smell of a new car. We're so excited. Three years later it's like, oh it's just a car. You know, we love the smell of this new person we're dating and five years later, wh- why do you smell so bad? And it's like the their smell hasn't changed, you know. Right. <laughs> it's just that our we've changed the way we perceive things. We've taken them for granted. So to me, it's all about remembering, like, okay, how did I treat you when we first got together? And am I still treating you with that same awe and love and respect and kindness? Again, and it's just, doing
2: it, right? and And yes. seeing it and then needing to do it.
3: And here's the thing. We actually get more out of it when we put work in. It's like anything else. The things you work for, you appreciate more. So if you're working at your marriage and you're really putting in the effort and, you know, you're both working through problems, you're going to appreciate it more because it's something you worked hard to create, this partnership, this family.
2: So true. And, and yet we expect it to be natural, flawless, easy. It should just come natural, like childbirth. Yeah, I
3: mean, it's, and again, that's the problem, even with whether it's marriage or parenthood right we just think it's just gonna happen and everything's gonna be perfect and it's not life is hard i mean that's the truth life is hard and if anybody tells you it's not they're lying to you i don't believe (laughs) that i believe that every single person struggles there may be huge struggles they may be tiny struggles but we all struggle and if we only see our spouse or our children—it's just as human beings, just like us, who are going to, you know, have bad days, who are going to mess up, who are going to be insensitive sometimes. Then we can give them more grace and be more forgiving because we're not we're not putting this expectation of perfection on them.
2: So true, Christina. Thank you. Uh, awesome, awesome insight. Christina Kuzmich is her name. Uh, go to her website, K U Z M I C K-U-Z-M-I-C.com. Christina with a K cristinacuzmich.com awesome stuff folks again it's you it's it's each of us we are the we're the change and our direction matters the direction that we we place our attention our focus it matters and people matter and get out of yourself and serve i know it's hard it's not the end all be all but get the help you need as well and let's maybe sometimes serve our way out of this broken but not worthless we'll take a break my friends when we come back Caitlin Thomas will be joining us, giving us some insight as well. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Caitlin Thomas, who has graduated from Brigham Young University and uh, is now looking for a job. So if you have a job for Caitlin, one eight five five chat byu She's one of our great producers, and uh, today she's talking about moms. You know, we celebrated Mother's Day Sunday, the day we all get together to thank our moms for doing everything that they've done for us. I don't think there's ever enough to just say it out loud. You know, there's more moms need Than just, hey, good good one, mommy. They've been sacrificing forever. They've dedicated their lives. So today, Caitlin is going to, I guess, help us. Yeah. Thank our moms.
6: Thank our moms. Well, and I was looking up some like famous moms. Yeah. And there's some pretty cool things that moms, women, I mean, they're women, but they were moms when they did these cool things. Which makes it because being a mom is a full-time job.
2: Yeah. And it's then you got to
6: add, you know, some moms work, they, go, they have a career, some moms don't, they stay home. Right. Either way, it's like, moms are incredible.
2: Like, can you imagine being married to <clears throat> Jeff and I or either of us and have a full-time job and the children and still have to deal with us?
6: Exactly. So that's the thing is, like, my mom my whole life, she's, I mean, she is super. She would go to work, she would wake up early so that she could do a load of laundry. Oh. Get us ready, make sure we pa- all had packed lunches, got us breakfast, you know, got us to school. And then yeah. she would go to work all day, and then the carpool would pick us up, and then she would come home and take care of us and cook dinner, take care of my dad, and do the whole thing all over again. I don't know. And again, she's done yeah, it for you years. do it again tomorrow. I know. It's amazing. It's incredible. I was thinking, um, women like J.K. Rowling, she's one of my favorites, right? She's one of my heroes, yeah. but she was a mom when she was almost completely broke. I'm not really sure what happened, but she wasn't. The The father wasn't around. Yeah. I don't really know the whole situation. But she was fairly broke, and she had all these kids that she was trying to take care of. So she was doing all these odd jobs and really couldn't live her dream of writing this book. She wrote the first chapter of Harry Potter on a napkin while she was at a cafe. <laughs> and that's what they turned in, and that's how she ended up getting published. But, like, she worked really hard. And, Unbelievable. Yeah, like, she just so, like, in our, her spare time. Our
2: last guest, maybe you need the you need the difficulty that creates the determination, right? It makes you decide if you're really going to offer your greatest offering. JK Rowling pulls out a napkin and starts writing right, it just on a napkin. Writing.
6: You know, like it's incredible that her brain could even still think. Yeah,
2: after, that creatively after yeah. all
6: the other stress. And that the she fear was and int- right. you wonder
2: how many masterpieces have been lost. Right. Because of, you know, the anguish of having to just make of like it through a real life. life, right? So
6: she's pretty much a super mom. That's and- cool. Now she's kind of like a mom to all of her fans. She donates a lot of money and helps a lot of people. So it's pretty cool. There's this other lady, um, her name's Candy. Cool. Candy. Candy Lightner. In 1980, a hit-and-run drunk driver killed one of her 13-year-old twin daughters, oh Carrie, because the driver had had three prior convictions for drunk driving and had been arrested two days prior for a different hit-and-run. Oh, boy. So within a few months, Lightner founded the Mothers Against Drunk Driving to try to end drunk driving, pass tougher legislation, and help the victims of drunk drivers. That's cool. So she's the lady that started um, Mad. Our mothers against drunk driving, which is pretty incredible considering the really awful thing that happened to oh, her. yeah, and women and moms, I just moms are just so compassionate and forgiving. Like moms are the first ones to forgive people that wrong. Well, depends. Yeah, but in, in these, um, she could have been angry. She could have been mad. But instead, so she took all of that and she, she turned it into an organization. She got that's organized, not helping thousands of people. Every well, day. think of
2: how many thousands of lives have been saved, and just the awareness about right driving right. under the influence or while well, And, and now, it's, now
6: we have programs in schools.
2: It's cool. So really cool.
6: Some awesome moms. And then, really quick for you, and I just want to plug in my mom. Your
2: mommy. What's her full name?
6: Jennifer. Jennifer I, Thomas.
2: I've met Jennifer. She's an amazing woman. She
6: is. And you know what? She she deals with a lot. She's got four kids.
2: Oh, and one of them's difficult. Me. <laughs> I wasn't even talking about that one. <laughs> um, yes, you.
6: And she's sacrificed all of her kind of, not her dreams and stuff because her dream was being a mom, but a lot of her talents and a lot of her hobbies. Her talent and her hobby is now coming to watch her kids do their talents yeah. and their hobbies and yeah. driving us everywhere. And she's the mom that, you know, says, hey, mom, mm-hmm. we don't have a ride to the movie theater. She'll take us. Hey, mom, I don't have a ride home. She'll bring us all home. Um, she's the mom who always has food in the pantry for my friends. Everybody wanted to come to my house because my mom, if she knew friends were coming over, she'd throw a plate of nachos into the oven and cook it for everybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> like she's she doesn't really even ask twice. She's had multiple different people who have been friends with me and my older sibling. Yeah. Um, come in and out who were kind of, uh, hooligans and she's taken them in and kind of become their their second mom. mom, Yeah. Yeah. And like, and she's helped um, them get into college. My one, he's quote unquote, my older brother actually just graduated from the police academy Oh my heavens. And he gave a lot of that credit to my mom because he's married now and has this amazing wife, but he said like, I wouldn't have even been in a place to marry this woman Hmm. if it hadn't had. The you know second mom that totally. I to take care of me. So I just want my mom to know she's a super mom. She's a superhero. I'm sure that your mom's a superhero.
2: My mom's mom. a superhero. My mom is hanging out in San Francisco loving life right now.
6: Good for her. She deserves it. She
2: totally does. I exhaust her. <laughs> I really do. But when you think about your mom, um, it's interesting. The older you get the shorter this opportunity to be with your mom is right I so know. it's like it gets scary because you start you're young still so you've got forever but at my age it's like you know i could have died of pancreatic pancreatitis you know i could have right. I could but, have kicked the bucket a week ago
6: well and you just never know what's going to happen mm-hmm. like I, I look at all of a sudden like the older i get the more i start to realize that things you know, I've had people get in car wrecks and they survive oh. miraculously. But you know, there's small things like that every day. So just
2: Take care tell of your mom you
6: love her because I don't think moms get enough credit.
2: I think you're right, and let's hold them up as heroes that they are. They
6: are, and don't demean their their position as a mom. Like That's it's right. probably the greatest thing that a woman could it do if they the choose greatest. to do. You yeah. know, and I love my mom. I love you, mom.
2: She's great. She's lucky to have you. You're lucky to have her. I We're am. lucky to have you for a little bit longer.
6: I only have a few more of these until the end of this month.
2: Caitlin Thomas is her name. If you have a job for her, one chat byu She's not only our great producer, she's our great charity. This is the Matt Townsend Show.